This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. How many of you guys like kale? Is that why you came? <laughs> so welcome to the seminar. It's called Power to Change the World, Jesus, Arabic, and Kale. My name is Mindy Ron, and we're going to be doing session four today, Kale, Corn, and You. So Kale, Corn, and You. So let's pray together as we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these precious people that are here this morning. Um, Lord, we're going to be talking about food politics, we're going to be talking about agriculture, and I'm going to be telling them a story. And I just ask that you fill us all right now with a tenfold portion of your Holy Spirit. May Jesus Christ be lifted up. And may this not just be a seminar where it's just information said, but by the power of your Spirit, may what is said actually be implemented in lives, in institutions, for the glory of your name. Lord, just give me the words to say, and may self die, and may Jesus Christ be lifted up, and only Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, have any of you guys ever had an idea that you were incredibly excited about? Anyone? Okay, so you have this idea, and you're excited about it, but have you ever just not known where to start? How is this going to be implemented? Is this an impossible dream? Can I actually do this idea? Well, I am here to tell you about an idea today, and I'm here to tell you about Luke 18:27. What is impossible with man is possible with who? God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. So first of all, I would like to talk about corn. I want to tell you all about corn this morning. So, I'm using the term corn to symbolize today our broken food system. Did you know that our food system is broken today? Our global food system. Anyone? Well, you're going to learn today that our food system is broken, and we are going to talk about four problems. What's the first problem, everyone? Obesity. Obesity. Second problem? Hunger. Third problem? Environmental issues. And finally, a disconnect with our food. And I'm not talking about New Age ideas today. I'm going to talk about tangible, tangible disconnect with our food today. So first of all, let's talk about obesity. Obesity. Did you guys know that obesity today globally is a larger problem than hunger? Did you know that? This is according to the Global Burden of Disease Report, which just came out a couple of weeks ago. And it was published in the Lancet magazine. Obesity is a larger problem than what, everyone? Hunger. Hunger. So this report was compiled by over 500 researchers from 50 countries. This report compared health data from 1990 all the way to 2010. So it was a 20-year study. And they revealed a massive shift in global health trends. The report specifically found that every country, with the exception of where? Sub-Saharan Africa faces alarming obesity rates. And I want you to get this. 
In the past two decades, globally, obesity has increased by what percentage? 82%. Does that shock you? 82%. But the Middle East, obesity has increased by 100%. 100% in the last two decades. The health burden from high body mass indexes now exceeds that due to what, everyone? Hunger, according to this report. And for the first time, non-communicable diseases like diabetes, stroke, heart disease top the list of leading causes of years spent sick or injured. Where are these diseases? Where have these diseases been for the last several decades? In the United States, in Western Europe, and now they're being exported to the world. In this report, it said the so-called Western lifestyle is being adapted all around the world. And what are the impacts? It's the same. It's the same. So we see this problem globally, but we also see the problem of obesity where? Right here in the United States of America and in North America. So in the United States, what percentage of Americans, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, are overweight or obese? 70%. 70% of Americans right now are overweight or obese. And one of the regions that is the most overweight or obese where I am from is the southeast of the United States. Mississippi, I believe, is number one. And Tennessee, I think, um, ties in another state for number two. Okay? So the southeast, it's a huge problem, but all across our country as well. Guys, what percentage of children are overweight or obese? 32% of kids are overweight or obese. Now kids are getting type 2 diabetes just like adults. Is this tragic? This is tragic. This is our future, the children. But the question is why? Why are we having this spike in obesity rates in the United States and around the world? Well, one reason is because of government subsidies. Does anyone here know what a government subsidy is? You do, you do, you do. Okay, very good. So basically, a government subsidy is money given to farmers by the government to produce foods. Okay? So what does that do to the price if they're given money to produce? It goes down. It goes down. Okay? And so a lot of these um, things that are subsidized are wheat, they're corn, etc. And a lot of them go into the feed for livestock. And livestock becomes meat. And so we have cheaper dairy and meat as a result. Okay, so government subsidies. Are you with me? Are there government subsidies for fruit and vegetables? No, there's absolutely not. And these subsidies, which turn into processed foods, reap the highest profits for producers. 90% profit for processed foods. Your chips... Your, your candy, etc., high fructose corn syrup, 90% profit. And what percentage of corn goes into processed foods? 25% of corn goes into processed foods. So corn is in 25% of processed foods. Can you believe it? Anything from ketchup to orange juice, etc., has corn in it. Craziness. 
Okay, what percentage of the land in the United States is planted with corn or soy? 51% and only 2 to 3% with fruits and vegetables. And this is from the book Fair Food as well as the book Weight of the Nation. So do you see where our money, do you see where our interests are going? Where are they going? Processed foods, right? And not into fruits and vegetables. And what is the result? $150 billion is spent every year on the health consequences of being obese and overweight. Guys, is this a problem in our country? Absolutely. And then we combine that with an increasing sedentary lifestyle. What does sedentary mean? Couch potatoes. Who said couch potato? Yes, that's it in a nutshell. Couch potato. So, in the year 1950, half of Americans had a job that involved physical labor. They're outside, they're moving around, etc. But what percentage have this type of job now? 20%. So that has dropped by 30% in the last 60 years. Next, what percentage of adults meet the minimum recommendation for physical activity? 3%. 3% of adults, according to the weight of the nation. Also, and this is incredibly shocking, sedentary visual activities make up how many hours, guys, of a child's week? 38 hours a week. This is from the book Food Politics, which is by a nutritionist at New York University, NYU, in New York City. Okay, so this is iPods, this is iPads, this is playing games, this is surfing the internet, this is watching TV. This is a full-time job for our kids, 38 hours a week. So, what is the first problem, everyone, of corn, our broken food system? Obesity, obesity. We have processed, unhealthy foods combined with a what type of lifestyle? Sedentary lifestyle is creating an obesity epidemic in the U.S. that is being exported to the world. But we don't just have obesity as a problem. A second issue is hunger. Hunger. 870 million people right now are hungry. Did anyone else skip supper last night besides me? And I know it's good to eat two meals a day. Amen for people that can do that. But I can't. And I was hungry. And I went to bed a little bit grumpy. And I was so happy for breakfast this morning. But this is a daily reality for people. 98% of whom are where? In developing countries. Next, 5 million under 5 children die every year because of hunger-related causes. How many, everyone? 5 million. That's approximately 13,700 every day because of hunger. Okay, so in one part of the world, well, all the world now, we have obesity, but then we have hunger. It's a sad situation. Is this a problem in the United States as well? Absolutely. According to census data, which was um, talked about in the book Fair Food, which is an excellent book that you guys all should read, read if you're interested in food politics and agricultural issues and practical solutions, 49 million households are food insecure. Do you know what that means? Yes, they can have access to food, but the food that they are accessing are chips, their junk food, etc. Why? Because it's cheap. Because what's being subsidized? Those foods, corn, rather than our fruits and vegetables that are more healthy. 
Okay, get this. Do you guys know where the Bronx is? Anyone been to the Bronx? Yeah? So it's a borough in New York City. 90% of people that live in the Bronx shop at convenience stores. They don't have grocery stores. So what are they getting? Those processed foods and not fruits and vegetables. And this is called a food desert, if you've heard that term before. Okay, so this is an example of food insecurity. A third problem, and we're going to get to hope, so don't worry. This is our third problem. We have a fourth one, and then we're getting to kale, guys. We're going to get to kale, which is our hope today. So the third problem is environmental issues. There are now, according to many studies, more farm chemicals used than ever in the United States. Okay, so now there are more farm chemicals used than ever in the United States. There is a professor who is actually teaching at Washington State University, Charles Benbrook, and he did a study from 1996 to 2011. And he analyzed GMO technology. Do you guys know what this is? Organisms, yes. Genetically modified organisms, GMO. Guys, we could have an whole like, semester just on GMO. But I'm just going to touch on it for just a second here, okay? So he found that with the introduction of GMO technology, this increased herbicide usage 11% from 1996 to 2011. How many million pounds is that? 527 million pounds as a result of GMO technology. But the question is about all this, pesticides, farm chemicals, herbicides, etc. And I know Jonathan could probably tell us more about this because he's working on a farm in Arizona. Why do we care? Why does this actually matter? Well, I suggest to you that this matters because of the environment and also because of our physical health. So first of all, environmental health. Did you guys know that pesticides are found in almost every stream in the United States? So pesticides trickle in to almost every stream in the United States. And what percentage of wells have pesticides? 90% of wells, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. Also, as a result of farm chemicals, there is now a dead zone in the Mississippi River and Gulf of Mexico that is today about 6,700 square miles, an area about the size of Connecticut, according to The Economist magazine. So we have a dead zone where there's no fish, where there's no algae, it's just dead as a result of the chemicals that are running off into the Mississippi and then going into the Gulf of Mexico. So it's affecting our environment. Why do we care? This is where we live, right? It also affects our physical health. Excess nitrogen, which is used in fertilizers, is linked to numerous health problems, including what? Cancer. And also miscarriages. Atrazine, an herbicide commonly used in what production? Corn production is linked to heart and lung congestion, muscle spasms, degeneration of the retina, and cancer, and remains the second most frequently detected herbicide in drinking water wells. And it's legal, and people are still using it. Okay, this is according to Fair Food, page 25. There's numerous other environmental issues that we could talk about. This is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. 
For example, have you guys heard of the Ogallala Aquifer in the Central Plains? The Ogallala Aquifer is underneath the Central Plains, which is the breadbasket of the United States. And what is happening there is water is being used so quickly that they say, according to Fair Food, that the useful life expectancy is only a further 15 to 50 years. Okay? Another issue. We're over-irrigating in the San Joaquin Valley in central California. What happens when you over-irrigate? Erosion happens, but salts come to the surface, and you have... The, the soil becoming so salinated that it's useless. And they've already retired over 100,000 acres because of over-irrigation. And what's the reason for this? Our current food system. Okay, so the final problem I want to talk about today is disconnect with our food. Disconnect with our food. Have any of you guys heard of the local food movement? Buy local, etc.? Okay, so only 2% of food purchased in the U.S. comes from where? Local sources, sustainable sources, meaning environmentally friendly. This is shocking. The average distance a food product travels is how far? 1,500 miles. So look at your food at breakfast. 1,500 miles is the average distance. Why does that matter? Because it takes fuel and resources. 10.3 calories of fossil fuel energy to create 1.4 calories of food energy. Okay? So really, really interesting, interesting stuff. So basically, the average American does not know where his or her food comes from, how it is grown, what is in the food, and how it affects our health. And is this problem just staying in the U.S.? No, we're exporting it to the world. And because of this disconnect with our food and the growing process, we waste food like crazy, according to the Environmental Protection Agency. So, less than 3% of the 34 million tons of food waste is what, everyone? Recovered and recycled. Okay, so how much waste are we actually doing every year? 34 million tons. And only 3% is recycled. Where's the rest going? It's going into landfills and incinerators. And why does this matter? Because when these materials are decomposing, it releases methane gas. And this is a greenhouse gas that is 21 times more potent than carbon dioxide. And 40% of landfill content comes from food waste. So, let's summarize what I've been talking about. Corn. Corn equals what, everyone? Our broken food system. And I talked about four problems today. What was the first one? Obesity. Second one? Hunger. Third one? Environmental issues. And finally, a disconnect with our food. Guys, Food is a human rights issue according to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I believe it's article number 26. But you know what's exciting? Is that this is an incredible opportunity for Seventh-day Adventist Christians to serve. 
we have an incredible opportunity to meet these massive needs, these physical needs, to share an ultimate need, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? This is a huge opportunity for our church to get involved individually and corporately today. Do we have any counsel on this? About agriculture? Have we had it? Yes, we've had it for over 160 years. So I'm going to get into that in a second, which is super exciting. But first of all, back to my idea. Okay, so the Lord showed me an idea, and it just seemed impossible. And he showed me that this, our food system is broken. And then he showed me a blueprint of what could be. And where can we find this blueprint? In the Bible and in the spirit of prophecy. Okay, so I'm going to be reading some quotes. What I want you guys to do is really pay attention with me. Pray over these quotes as we're reading them. Write them down. And then I don't want to just be sharing this with you today. I want you to share it with others. Because we need a revolution in agriculture in the United States. Do you agree? Amen? Amen. Okay, so kale. God's blueprint, kale. Why am I using kale? Because it's an awesome vegetable that's over 50% protein. And you need to eat it. And I'm using this as a symbol of God's blueprint. And if anyone doesn't like kale, I have a really good kale salad vegan dressing that just makes kale amazing. So talk to me afterwards. Kale. Okay, so in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we see God making a beautiful and perfect world for mankind. So let me ask you this question. Was this perfect world full of high-rise condominiums and beach resorts? Was it full of shopping malls and theaters? No. What was this perfect world? It was a garden, and it was the Garden of Eden, and God made it in six days, and he pronounced it very good. So in Genesis 2.15, it says, Then the Lord God took man and put him where, everyone? In the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. I'm going to read you a quote now and stay with me. It's from Avenus Home, page 132. And it's a powerful quote and I want you guys to visualize it as we're reading it today. So the home of our first parents was to be a what everyone? A pattern for other homes as their children should go forth to occupy the earth. That home, beautified by who? The hand of God himself, was not a gorgeous palace. Men in their pride delight in magnificent and costly edifices and glory in the works of their own hands. But God placed Adam where? In a garden. This was his dwelling. The blue heavens were its dome. The earth and its delicate flowers and carpet of living green was its floor. And the leafy branches of the goodly trees were its canopy. Its walls were hung with the most magnificent adornings. The handiwork of who? The master artist. How many of you guys would have liked to have seen this and lived in it? I mean, this was fashioned by God's own hand for man. What a beautiful sight. In the surroundings of the holy pair was a lesson for all time. That true happiness is found where, everyone? Exactly, but in communion with God through his created works. So what was man's first home? It was a garden, and it was perfect, and it was good. So 
God put man in a garden and woman in a garden to tend and to keep it. But were they the only people who were supposed to tend and keep and be involved with our natural environment and agricultural pursuits? No. No. I like that enthusiasm. Thank you. So, Adventist Home, page 143. He who taught Adam and Eve and Eden how to tend the garden would what? Instruct men today. There is wisdom for him who holds the plow and plants and sows the seed. The earth has its concealed treasures and the Lord would have what? Thousands, thousands and tens of thousands doing what? Working the soil who are crowded into the cities to watch for a chance to earn a trifle. Those who will take their families where? Into the country, place them where there are fewer temptations. The children who are with parents that love and fear God are in every way. How many ways? Every way. Much better situated to learn of the great teacher who is the source and fountain of wisdom. Okay, everyone, let's say this last sentence together because this is powerful. You ready? One, two, three. They have a much more favorable opportunity to gain a fitness for the kingdom of heaven. Amen? That's a huge statement. Okay, just a couple of more, okay? And then I'm going to tell you a story. So, God's call today. No line of training is of more value than agriculture. Agriculture. A greater effort should be made to create and to encourage an interest in agricultural pursuits. Let the teacher call attention to what the Bible says about agriculture. That it was God's plan for man to till the earth and woman. The rule, the, that the first man, the ruler of the whole world, was given a garden to cultivate. And that many of the world's greatest men, its real nobility, have been what? Tillers of the soil. Show the opportunities in such a life. And this is found in Child Guidance, page 356. But the question is, why? Why? Why is it so important to get out there, to get your hands dirty, to get into God's creation? I'm not going to read this whole thing. Adventist Home, page 142. In the cultivation of the soil, the thoughtful worker will find that treasures little dreamed of are opening up before him. No one can succeed in what, everyone? Agriculture or gardening without attention to the laws involved. And I'm going to jump down to the end. The constant contact with the mystery of life and the loveliness of nature as well as the tenderness called forth in ministering to these beautiful objects of God's creation, tend to quicken the mind and refine and elevate the character. Amen? Amen. So what is this saying? It's saying that as we get into agriculture, we see that there are intricate laws that are involved, right? And you've got to think. You've got to ask God for wisdom, and you have to pay attention to detail. And how does this affect us? It elevates and refines the character and quickens the mind. Amen? Amen. Is this something you'd like to be a part of? Amen? Amen. Hopefully that will be more resounding by the end. Okay, so this idea that I talked about at the beginning, this impossible idea 
This quote really spoke to me as I am a teacher at Southern Adventist University in Tennessee. Okay? It is God's plan that agriculture shall be connected with the work of what? Our sanitariums and our schools. Our schools. Our youth need the education to be gained from this line of work. It is well and more than it is essential that efforts to be made to carry out the Lord's plan in this respect. This is Testimonies to the Church, Volume 8, page 227 to 228. So, the Lord showed me that personally being involved in agriculture refines the character. Okay, it refines the character, it elevates the mind. He also showed me that it affects our physical health and also the health of what, everyone? Our planet. And most importantly, he showed me that as we get into God's creation, we learn of who? Jesus Christ, our master creator, who is beautiful and has created a beautiful nature for us. And as we get to know him, as we're out there working, Jesus Christ comes into our heart. He's lifted up in our lives, and then more people are drawn to him. Amen? I mean, this is powerful stuff, guys. So, what in the world does this have to do with you? Why are you sitting here this morning? Well, I want you to know that Paul Petra and I have been praying for you guys, and we've been praying that the absolute right people will come to our seminars. So you are here for a reason. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, listen well, okay? So let's get to the application to you guys today. So what is this exciting idea that God gave me that I was totally overwhelmed with and just felt impossible? Was it to go start my own agricultural training school? No. It was actually to bring agriculture back to Southern Adventist University. Amen? We were a huge farm like a hundred years ago. And today we have nothing going in regard to agriculture for several decades. But I had a few problems. Okay? So first problem, I didn't have a garden. I didn't have any space. Second problem, I didn't have a teacher because I couldn't teach because the third problem is I didn't know how to garden. (laughs) Um, The fourth problem is I had no resources. And the fifth problem, I didn't even know if there were students that would actually take this class. So are these some problems? But guys, what is impossible with man is impossible with God. Or excuse me, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. So where did I go for help? To address these problems, I went to God. I went to God for help. I got down on my knees. I had various friends praying with me at different times in my living room on their knees. Um, And um, it was just an amazing blessing how God has provided for the story I'm about to tell you at Southern Adventist University. And the only, the only reason why I'm telling you this is so that you will be encouraged and inspired to bring agriculture back to your homes, to your church, to your hospital, to your community, to your educational institution. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's get going on this story. So the first problem, where to garden? Where to garden? So... The only agriculture, these are my two little nephews, the only agriculture spot that we had at Southern was the student garden. Okay? 
the student garden. This had been begun, I think, six or seven years ago. John Howe, Paul's little brother, was involved with this, as well as Luke Fisher, and the Neblets are um, the in-laws of Luke Fisher. They're the ones that started this garden, okay? However, Andrew Fisher, Luke's little brother, was graduating, and he couldn't find anyone to take it over the next year, and so it was supposed to go back to grass, Andrew was sad about this, and when I heard it, I was sad about this, and I said, Andrew, can we please have this plot of ground for this sustainability studies class, which is in a new major that we have started at Southern? He said, absolutely. I talked to the people at Southern, and this is the plot that we got. When Andrew was working it, it looked a lot better than this. There had been some lapse in time between him leaving and me coming. So it kind of grown up a little bit, and my nephews were a little overwhelmed. (laughs) So this is a garden that the Lord blessed us with. Here's another picture of it before we got to work. So, first problem taken care of graciously by the Lord. Second problem, how to garden. (laughs) How to garden. Uh, um, My parents growing up had a garden. And my sister worked very hard in that garden and knew what she was doing. However, I was a lazy, lazy child. And I would run away from my parents, climb trees, run through this fire, do whatever not to work. But the Lord has turned this around and he taught me how to work this past summer, which was a huge blessing. So I went to my sister for help and my brother-in-law and two little nephews. They're very much into agriculture, and they want to get into it full-time as soon as they sell their house. So please pray for them that they'll sell their house, okay? Because they want to get into this full-time as a ministry very soon. They had recently watched a documentary called Back to Eden. How many of you guys have seen the documentary Back to Eden? It's free on the internet. Go watch it. Um, Back to Eden. It's, it's not a Seventh-day Adventist production, but it's a Christian, and he is on fire for the Lord. And you will be blessed if you watch this documentary, Back to Eden. So what is the method that he uses? Basically, he uses permaculture. Have any of you guys heard of permaculture? It's basically a way to garden that mimics nature and tries to use as little inputs as possible, like synthetic fertilizers, etc., So we decided that our garden was going to be organic. And not just organic, we decided that it was going to be veganic. (laughs) Jonathan works for the Smiths in Arizona, and they're veganic. What that means is you don't even use animal, um, what do you call it? Manure, thank you. Because why? Because these animal manures can get antibiotics in them, they can get arsenic in them, and other toxins. Okay, so here's what we did. We got my brother-in-law out there, and he weed-eated the biggest weeds, okay? Next, we got a ton of newspaper from the locally, local recycling center, and we spread it all across the garden to smother the remaining weeds and grass. After that, the school donated to us compost, which was decomposed leaves and things that they had um, had up at landscaping. And then after the compost, we put on wood chips. Guys, this was back-breaking labor, but it was a blessing from the Lord. So we started out with just myself, my sister, and my two little nephews. I mean, are they big guys yet? No, they're very small. (laughs) And um, we got this far in about four hours. It was 
hard work. We had this wheelbarrow that I inherited from Andrew with a flat tire that was broken and it would like tip over. So we were wrestling with that. And then my nephew would try to wrestle that away from me and I was like, oh. So it took us four hours to get that little bit of um, land ready to cultivate. However, the Lord heard my sister and my cry and sent my brother-in-law to help us. He brought his front-end loader, and we whipped the rest of this out in a couple of hours, which was a blessing from the Lord. And we were able to sit down and just watch him work, which was great. So (laughs) this is the end result. We needed to get a little bit more wood chips in the middle. But our garden is about 130 feet by 50 feet. And um, it's behind faculty and student housing. And we planted. So how you plant in this method, and I'm telling you so you can do it, so take notes. So in the wood chips, you spread them aside and you plant in the compost. And you can either cover it up or just leave it until the plant is big enough. And then you can cover it back up, okay? So I was incredibly skeptical about this. I kept telling my sister and brother-in-law, is it actually going to grow? How is it going to come up through these wood chips? Is it actually going to work? But what do you see coming up? Do you see green? These are plants. So praise the Lord, it started coming up, which was a massive blessing from the Lord. When it came up, one of the first things to come up was okra. How many of you guys enjoy some good okra? Oh, amen. Okra is delicious, and in the South, we eat this a lot. So the okra started coming up through the mulch, and I was going down there several times a day. I was looking at the okra. I was praising the Lord. I mean, it really makes you um, just praise the Lord for his goodness, the miracle of a seed and how it just comes up. I see some other people nodding their heads. It's just a miracle from the Lord. However, one morning I went back down there, and the okra was gone. Rabbits, yes! So it had grown about this big, and I went back down there, and the okra was just gone. Okay? So I'm going to finish that story in a second. We planted with, with kids from the community. My sister knew some people. We had Adventists. We had non-Adventists there. It was amazing fellowship, getting together and planting. And let me tell you guys, when you involve the community and when you involve kids, when they grow it, they eat it. They eat it. It's true. My nephew grew carrots, and he ate those carrots, and now he tells everyone, those are the best things I've ever eaten. So when kids grow it, they eat it. I mean, look at these little people. Our youngest little gardener was two years old. And yes, the corn came out a little crooked, but it was totally worth it to have these kids involved with us. So here's pictures of the okra. So here's how the story turned out. After I went and saw the okra gone, I went, I trudged back up to my house. I plopped down on my couch and I'm like, God, we've put hours of work into this garden and the rabbits just come in and eat the okra. And so I almost felt like crying, seriously. And I prayed, God, what would you have me to do? And so he impressed me, you need to go to Ace Hardware. I'm like, Ace Hardware? I don't know anything about Ace Hardware. So I drove across town and I went to Ace Hardware and I looked at fencing, etc. And he impressed me to call my brother-in-law. I called my brother-in-law, who happened to be just across the street at that moment, which was a huge blessing. He came over, looked at the fencing, and said, I think we can get some free fencing from Southern. 
And so that evening, he went over to Southern, and he got all this free fencing, and he put it up that night. See it? And it was such a blessing. But I was like, man, is our okra even going to come back? Are we going to have to replant it? And my nephew, who was nine years old at the time, just looked at me and shook his head. He said, Mindy, you have absolutely no faith. This is a nine-year-old. You have absolutely no faith. The Lord is going to bless this okra. And do you think he did? Yes. It was the most abundant crop. We didn't replant, and the Lord just brought it back. So, guys, is gardening character building? Yes, it's character building and definitely refines the character and elevates the mind. So here's the, the produce. It grew. The Lord blessed it. And what's awesome about using wood chips is, number one, you don't get, get dirty when you go to the garden. And number two, <laughs> sorry, it's the truth, though. And number two is the weeding is a lot less. The weeding is a lot less. We just had some grass to pull out, but we hardly had any weeds. And also, it keeps the moisture in so you don't have to irrigate as much. And it's really good for the soil health underneath. Here's our squash and zucchini and cucumbers. Here's some of our produce. Some of our corn. So, God took place of where to have a garden. He took place of how to garden, praise the Lord. And and thirdly, he took place of who was actually going to garden. I had massive challenges finding a teacher. Okay, so the first time, and I took my sister and family wherever I was going to find a teacher. It was great. It was a family enterprise. So the first time, we went to this farm that was a couple hours away from Chattanooga. And we had a great meeting with the people. We decided to come home, and we got into massive tornadoes. So the first expedition to go find a teacher, we got into massive tornadoes. At one point, we thought we were going to die. We were listening to the radio, and they were talking about how these storms were coming right behind us and right this way. And we started praying, and we were stuck in traffic on the interstate, and the tornado went around. Praise the Lord. Okay, so the first time I try to find a teacher, we get in tornadoes. The second time I try to find a teacher, and I'm taking my sister, my brother-in-law, my nephews with me, (laughs) we get into a massive hailstorm. It's just coming down and pelting, and it was really, really scary, and my nephews were crying. And then... The Lord, when I was about to give up and say, Lord, this class is never going to happen. I can't teach these students agriculture. You're going to have to send someone or I give up. The Lord, through a friend, told me to contact the Smiths. Does anyone know the Smiths? Yeah? So they run Sunny Zona Farms in Arizona. And they have helped do consulting at Great Lakes Adventist Academy. And they brought back agriculture there. Amen? They also help at Advent Home, and these are spirit-filled, godly people, okay? So I emailed them one week, and they emailed me back and says, guess what? We're actually going to be in Chattanooga the next week. Is that a God thing? That is a God thing. And so I met with the Smiths. My nephew was taking random pictures, and I found this picture. It was an incognito picture. But this is Janice and Byron Smith. And they told me about our future teacher, whose name is Jane Takahashi. She's right over there. Jane Takahashi. That's my reader, Leroy. But Jane was a gift from the Lord. I could not find anyone that would come to Tennessee for just a semester, get adjunct salary, which is hardly anything, find a place to live. But Jane was willing. 
And she was an amazing teacher. She was a hard worker. She invested her life into those students. And I pray that she has crowns, um, jewels in her crown when she gets to heaven because of her willingness to come and teach. She's just such a blessing. If she ever listens to this, Jane, you're a blessing. So we found who to teach. Next, we needed resources. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed about resources because I had absolutely no money. Like nothing. I didn't know how I was going to pay Jane. I didn't know how I was going to get tools for the garden. So back to my knees in prayer with other people praying with me. And the Lord has given Southern godly administrators who the Holy Spirit impressed to give us money for resources. Amen? Oh, so thankful for them. So we got this fencing from them. The landscaping gave us all the wood chips, the compost, and the biggest blessing of all, our hoop house. Now let me tell you the story behind this hoop house. Jane and I went to ASI, and we were praying for weeks about a hoop house, which cost like four to $5,000, okay? We were praying and praying and praying. We thought we were going to have a divine appointment at ASI, and someone was just going to give us a hoop house. When we came into our hotel room, what do you think the picture on the wall was? A hoop house. So we were just like, yes, Lord, you are going to give this to us. But nothing happened. So school year is starting. We're working outside. We still don't have a hoop house. We're praying, we're praying, we're praying. Um, Dr. Young, who is amazing, he's my boss, he's the um, dean for academic affairs, he actually ended up giving me money through strategic planning for a hoop house, which was a massive blessing. So we ordered the hoop house. It got here like two weeks later, and then we couldn't find anyone to put it up. No one would put it up. Okay, so we had this hoop house. It's sitting out there. A week goes by. No one puts it up. I'm praying. I'm making phone calls. Nothing happens. Two weeks goes by. Three weeks goes by. It's getting to be the end of October. Do you need to plant? Yes. Four weeks goes by. The hoop house is still just sitting in the box. So my class and I, we get together. We look at the box. We start praying. We're like, can we just put up this hoop house? (laughs) Then we opened it up and saw all the screws and the directions. We're like, no, we totally can't do this. So the next couple of days, Jane and I were praying, we're praying, we're praying. We're running out of things to do with the students in the garden. We're done. You know, we don't have anything else for them to do. And one night, Jane and I totally surrendered. We said, God, we give up. If you want this hoop house, amazing. But if not, it doesn't matter. We'll just leave it there for years in a box. Okay? And so the next day, the Lord impressed me, you need to fast and pray. God. Is there power in fasting and praying? Yes. It's not in us, but it's in God and humbling ourselves before him. So I'm in my office at 7. I'm kind of grumpy because I'm hungry. I'm fasting. I'm praying about this hoop house. um, And I'm begging God. And he he impresses upon my mind, Minnie, you need to stop begging me. I'm like, okay. You need to praise me for what I'm about to do. And I'm looking out my window, and I go, God, I praise you. I praise you that you're going to put up this hoop house. I praise your name. Right when I said that, the phone rang. The exact second. It was um, the boss man, and he said, we are going to put up that hoop house as soon as possible. And they started putting it up the next day. Amen? Guys, there is power in prayer, and there's a great controversy, and we need to pray and seek the Lord. I was so thankful, and I call this my Ebenezer. 
Do you guys know what an Ebenezer is? When Samuel went, won that victory with the Israelites, they put up this huge stone, which symbolized, Hither by thy help I've come. This is God's, this is God's deal. Isn't that beautiful? Every time I go look at it, I drive past it every day to work, and I just praise the Lord for his provision. Next, students in the class. Jane and I prayed for just the right students, and I've asked their permission to talk about them. So if any of you guys are going to be my future students, don't worry, I'll ask you beforehand. So this is the class. We had six students. And how we set up the class is on Mondays, I taught in the classroom about food politics. So some of the stuff that I was mentioning at the beginning of the session today. On Wednesdays, we took the students out into the garden, and it was a powerful experience. And Jane led out with the garden activities. Did you guys know that every Wednesday for the entire semester, it didn't rain once? Rain would be in the forecast, and it would just go away. So we called that our Wednesday weather miracle, so that we were able to have this class every single Wednesday. So the students and I, we prepared the soil together. We weeded together. We put up quick hoops together, which are low hoops. We used electrical conduit, a rebar that my friend Ryan welded, and then plastic. You guys can do it in your own yard and have kale all winter long for super cheap. We harvested together, and at the end of the semester, we ate together. So the students took the produce and were able to make their own dishes out of what they had grown. And talk about fellowship and bonding. This is how education should be. When you work side by side with your students, you get to know each other, you have spiritual conversations, and this class was the biggest blessing to myself, and hopefully to the students as well. The students didn't know what they were getting into. Some of them signed up for this class called Sustainability Studies, and they had absolutely no idea that they were going to be getting out in the dirt and gardening. But at the end of the semester, they were all very thankful. And one girl, and I won't say her name, who absolutely hated gardening at the beginning, by the grace of the Lord, wrote me on her final exam, I'm going to have my own garden in the future. That's a miracle from God, right? So I'm just praising the Lord for that. As well, the class and I organized a food summit, which this is what it was. We invited the community, and we invited Byron Smith to come talk, and he did some sessions at Southern. But what was really neat is that we invited a ton of non-Aventists in downtown Chattanooga because, guys, this is a wedge to meet physical needs, to build relationships with the community. Amen? So we actually had a lot of non-Adventists come, and as a result, they invited me to be on the Chattanooga Food Policy Council, which is a council where we are creating policy for the community. Amen? I don't know what I'm doing, but it's great to learn from them. So I'm so thankful to be able to make more relationships with non-Adventists, and I'm so thankful for Byron Smith coming over. It was a real big blessing. So, summary. Why is this important that this happened at Southern? Because, number one, guys, it builds our character. Number two, we need holistic education in our schools. And not just our self-supporting schools, which are amazing, amen, but we need it in our conference schools as well. And the Lord can bless in this regard. You bond with your students and with the community. 
It's a huge wedge for outreach and service and to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Let me really quickly, I'm almost done, tell you about one divine appointment. I went bowling with my friend Ryan um, at Southern for this plant services party. And as I was at the bowling alley, it was a bunch of Seventh-day Adventists. We were supposed to order our drinks from the bar. And I ordered my water with no ice. And as I was talking to the bartender, the TV was flashing behind. And it said something about GMO. And we both looked at it, and she said, I just don't like GMO. And I said, I don't either. <laughs> and we started talking about it. I told her about the class at Southern and how I'm a teacher, etc. And she said, did you know I'm a former Seventh-day Adventist? I grew up on a farm, and I love agriculture. And I said to her, ooh, where are you living right now? I can have my students come put in a garden for you. I haven't heard from her yet because I gave her my cell phone number. I'm going to go bowling again and try to find her. But guys, this is such a wedge to reach out to people. Amen? And God can give us divine appointments. So in conclusion, corn. Is our food system broken? Yes. Kale. Has God given us a powerful blueprint? Yes. You. Can you do this? Let me tell you, if I can do it, you can do it. Because it's God who does it through us in spite of us. Amen? So bring back agriculture to your homes, to your hospitals, to your education, to your communities. And the Lord will bless. If he can do it at Southern, going from this to this, he can definitely do it with you guys as well. In closing, what is impossible with man is possible with God and finally, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. So let's bow our heads together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just praise your name. You are so good, you are so mighty, and you are so awesome. Thank you for caring about food and our health and our environment. Thank you for giving us a blueprint. Lord, I ask that every single person here just gets interested in agriculture for your glory. Fill us all with your Holy Spirit and may we use agriculture as a means to meet people's physical needs and sharing an eternal need, a relationship with Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.